Father in heaven, thank you for all your goodness to us. You have poured out your blessings and in amazing ways during the last year, and so we're grateful to you for that. Uh, some of us have gone through hard seasons this last year, and yet you have never left us. You've never let us go. You've never let us wander on our own. You've been right with us all the way, and so thank you for that. Lord, as we go into this next year, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our whole church family, and I cannot possibly pray a prayer that would meet everybody's, that would speak to everybody's needs, Lord. But just in general, would you give us your blessing this year? Would you pour it out on us in ways that are clear and obvious and amazing? I pray, Lord, for our church to have health. I know that in a world where there's sin and where there's decay and where there's illness, it's bound to land on some of us. But I just pray that you would give grace to us and you would let us have physical health this year. I pray as well that as we walk through this year, you would give us emotional and relational health. Lord, we're all in relationships with others and some of us are married and there's a relationship and all of us have parents. Some of our parents are still around and so there's a relationship for us and many of us have children and there's relationships there. And we all have neighbors at work or where our house is or Uh, who we play basketball with or whatever those things are. We all are surrounded by neighbors. And my prayer is that we would be relationally healthy with them. And anything there is that we would be able to do to bring health into those relationships, I pray that you would empower us to do it. I pray, Lord, that we'd be financially healthy. We're doing this Financial Peace University this winter and I, I believe that you desire all of us to be whole financially. That doesn't mean we're all going to be wealthy at the same terms and definitions. But, but Lord, would you give us the grace to organize our lives and to structure our faith in such a way that our finances become healthy? That's an honor to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be spiritually healthy. We're here today to start this year because we want to be spiritually fresh. We want to be spiritually alive. We want our lives to be spiritually relevant and healthy, and I pray that you would give us that. Lord, sin gets in the way. Uh, Our our selfishness gets in the way. Our own desire to be our own God gets in the way, and so I pray that you will take all those things away. Forgive us for the places where we've walked away from you or where we've raised our fists towards you or where we have rebelled against you. Forgive us for those things and bring us back to your path, and may we walk on it today and tomorrow and throughout this year. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we look to you together today through Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. All right, let's look in the Scripture together. Um, I thought it'd be good for us, and I go away, some of you know how this works for me, I go away a couple of times a year, and I do a little prayer and planning retreat, and the whole goal of that for me is just to get away and to listen to God and say, God, what do you want our church to to know this year? What do you want our church to do this year? And what do you want our church to feel this year? And so I just kind of walked those things through. And last year when I was getting ready to do this, by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow for another retreat. So if you'll remember to pray for me this week and ask God to speak to me, to prepare to speak to you this next year, that would be awesome. But last year when I went away and, and did this planning retreat, I thought, you know what, let's just start the year not with a series. We do a lot of series of teachings here at Lakeside, and we'll do more. But I thought, let's just start today, start the new year by celebrating and thinking through this thing we call the Lord's Supper. 
And so we're just going to kick off our new year by remembering Christ together. If you're a Christ follower, if you've been a follower of Jesus very long, you're sort of familiar with the communion thing or the Lord's Supper, what some churches call the Eucharist. You're sort of familiar with that. And if you're not you know, a, a longtime follower of Jesus, maybe it's new for you, so I want to describe it for you. And for all of us, I want to put some more meaning to this. I want to, I want to find out from Scripture what do these things mean that we participate in, this, this ritual of remembrance that we participate in. So we're going to start, at, we're just going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today. So if you have your copy of the Bible, why don't you pull it out and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, well, we've got some on the chairs near you. You're welcome to borrow one of those. You're welcome to have one of those. If you take that out of the room, it's not stealing because we're giving it to you. Okay, so we want you to have a Bible and I'd love to have you follow along. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and I want to start reading in verse 17. This is written from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in a town called Corinth, which was somewhere northeast of Athens, Greece. All right? Here's what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. There, Happy New Year. Wow, it's like, okay, Pastor Brad, thanks for bringing us in on a happy note of Scripture. What's really discouraging is before he gets to chapter 11, he got 10 chapters, and none of them are encouraging. And now he gets to this point, he goes, okay, I got some directives for you. I got some instructions for you. And in them, I have no praise for you because your meetings do more harm than good. You ever been in a meeting like that? Yep. Yeah, don't raise your hand because people in that, sorry, the people in that meeting might be, you know, there. I, I mean, everyone, everyone who's ever been in a meeting has had a meeting where it did more harm than good. The tragedy of this statement is the meetings he was describing were their worship meetings. It was the worship meetings of the church he was talking about. And he said, your worship meetings are doing more harm than good. I mean, what, what a horrible statement to have to make about a church. You know, to be able to say, okay, we get together at 11 o'clock, soon to be 1045. We get together and then we go, okay, we're going to have worship time. And imagine an apostle coming in and going, you know, you might want to stop doing that because your meetings are doing more harm than good. That's how he described the situation for the people who were worshiping there in Corinth. Now, when God gave us the scriptures, he said he gave the Bible for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so what's going to follow is a little bit of correction. And I want to watch us through, just walk through what he says to correct them so that their meetings don't do more harm than good. They do more good than harm. In fact, they stop doing harm completely and they just do good. That's where we want to be. And so let's just uh, go to the next verses and see what he says about this. Verse 18, he says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Paul says, you have some problems. Problem number one is you have division among you. And Paul said, I'm not a fan. And he says, furthermore, God is not a fan. God is not a fan of division among his church or within his church. God wants unity. And over and over and over as you walk through the scriptures, you'll find that the apostles are writing about unity. And they're like, make sure you do everything possible to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity, unity, unity. But here Paul says to the Corinthians, your problem, your first problem is there's division. If you go back farther in, in 1 Corinthians, in the letter to the Corinthians, 
you'll find that he starts off by saying, yeah, some of you, some of you go, yeah, we follow Apollos. He's a better preacher than Paul. You know, and some say, well, we follow Paul because he's the one who founded our church, you know. And, and some of the people say, well, we're more spiritual. We just follow Jesus. You got all these factions and divisions going on in their church. Paul says, you know what? You need to find unity among you. You've got these divisions, and those are not honoring to God. And so he says, when you get together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You think you're having this great worship time. You think you're having this great celebration of communion. He says, it's not even the Lord's Supper that you're eating because you have all these divisions among you. He says, you're not doing it right. So he writes this to correct them. So the question we have to ask is, okay, then how do we do it right? Verse 21. For when you were eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. In those days, Christians got together for their worship gatherings, and they, and they always or they often celebrated what we call the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate together today as well. They would get together and they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. But in, those, in that generation, early on in the life of the church, when they got together for those worship times, they brought food and they celebrated what they called a love feast. Or in the Greek language, it would have been an agape feast. Some of you know the word agape. It's a word that means sacrificial love. And so they would have these love feasts. And so, you, and so we, today we would call it potluck. Right? I mean, so you, you think potluck's sort of new on the scene, last 50 years, whatever. No, no. Churches have been doing potlucks for 2,000 years. They used to call it a love feast, a sacrificial meal together. And, and, and Paul says, yeah, but the problem is you had this love feast, and, the, and it's sort of the highlight of that would be the, the culmination would be this uh, participation in the Lord's Supper. But the problem for you, Corinthians, you, you've become selfish in your love feast. You brought selfishness into your love feast. And so now the people that have a lot of money, you're bringing your own food like the potluck used to be, but you're not sharing it with anybody anymore. So now you come to the church, you got your own little group, you got your own little oikos there in your, in your fellowship, and you share your food together. But this poor guy over here, he gets, he gets nothing. And he doesn't have anything to bring to the table, so he gets nothing. He said, selfishness has crept into your love feasts. Which is odd because the love feast meant sacrificial, it meant a sacrificial meal together where we sacrifice for one another. Selfishness and sacrifice cannot eat at the same table. And if unity is a priority for Jesus and his church, then selfishness cannot be the marker of a church. But for the Corinthians, it was. Now, I'm grateful in our community, I look around at the church and I go, there's an amazing amount of unity among the churches here in Folsom. Sometimes people look at, you know, a community that has several churches and I, you know, with as many Christ followers as we have in this region, it's great that we have different kinds of churches. And it's, it's not a matter of division that churches look different or they have different worship styles. Some churches love to worship God in really noisy and active ways and that drives other people really crazy. And some people like to worship God in really quiet, still ways and that drives other people really crazy. But it's not to say there's division among us just because we have different buildings where we worship. I, one, of the, one of the great blessings, I believe, of this community is that for 25 years, pastors have gathered together regularly to pray with one another. 
and to pray for one another and to pray for each of the churches. That's a blessing I'm, I don't think anybody knows how to measure, but it's true in our community. And it's amazing. And I look at us and I go, okay, when we're talking about 1 Corinthians 11 and Paul's saying there's division and there's selfishness, I don't see a bunch of that among us, and I'm grateful for that. Paul says, let's, let's make sure that stays that way among us, that there is unity among us and there's not selfishness among us because selfishness and sacrifice cannot share the same table. And the Lord's Supper is all about sacrifice. Verse 23. Now here's the part where it becomes familiar. This is the most commonly repeated phrase or series of phrases that we talk about month to month as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So this may be familiar to a lot of you. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, I want to tell you about the Lord's Supper. So he describes it for us. And we read that passage just about every month when we participate in the Lord's Supper together. He says, I received this straight from Jesus, which is interesting because, Jesus, because Paul was not there on that night before Jesus was crucified. And the disciples were together and they had the Passover meal together. And, and Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Paul wasn't there. He was a disciple of Jesus who became a disciple of Jesus much later. And so when he says, I I gave to you what I received from Jesus, he's saying, Jesus gave this to me in a special revelation. He told me this is how this works. He says, I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was going to be crucified, he took the bread of the Passover, he broke it, he gave it out to his disciples around the table. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. The disciples who received that bread had no concept that Jesus would die on a cross within 24 hours. They had no concept of what was coming. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. But the disciples had no clue. And Jesus said, look, this broken bread, this is my body, which is for you. See, Jesus lived his life for you. Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus rose from the grave for you. Put that in a more communal kind of sense. Jesus Jesus lived his life for others. Jesus died on a cross for others. Jesus rose from the grave for others, including us. But everything he did was for others. He took that broken bread. He gave it out to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is for you. That is so foreign to how we live our lives. This is is my body, which is for me. I mean, isn't that how you you live? You live your life that way. We live our life. This is my body, which is for me. I'm I'm a member of the gym, Cal Fit, across the street, right? I go over there, I work out, see some of you guys working out. It's like, then you're, you're saying, this is my body, which is for me. And I want it to be healthy. And then there's others of you who's like, well, you don't really go to the gym that much. You just enjoy peppermint ice cream. Because you say, this is my body, which is for me. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I, I have a foot in both worlds. I don't know how that is going to work. But you, 
Selfishness is true of all of us. Selfishness is the normal pattern of human behavior. Selfishness is really hard to see in the mirror. But we live our lives like we would say, this is my body, which is for me. This is my wallet, which is for me. This is my calendar, which is for me. This is my car, which is for me. My whole life is for me, it seems like, unless and until Christ comes in and renovates us. And so Jesus took the bread of the Passover, he broke it, he passed it out to his friends, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Jesus lived his life as a sacrifice for others. He gave his life as a sacrifice for others. And then he said, and every time you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, every time you eat this, remember me. Now, is that hard for you? Do you have a hard time remembering Jesus? I mean, you get up on Sunday morning, it's like, oh, I've got to get to the 11 o'clock service. What's that, ch- what's that church thing about again? I forgot. Why do we do that every you know, week? You know, you don't have a hard time remembering Jesus. So it's interesting when he says, every time you do this, remembering me, he's not concerned that maybe the, the, the Christ followers, the disciples, would forget who he was. There's no way they're forgetting who he was. The word remember can be understood from different angles. You can use the word remember to mean to recall something. I recall a conversation. I recall a story. I recall a movie. I, re, I recall a relationship. I recall certain things, but it's mostly mental. It's mostly intellectual. I recall it to mind. But there's another way to understand remembering, and it's the word rehearse. Actors rehearse when they remember their lines. And they remember by repeating it, and by repeating it, and by repeating it. They rehearse. When Jesus said, every time you do this, I want you to remember me, he's saying, every time you do this, I want you to rehearse what I've been up, when I, what I, uh-oh. <laughs> I want you to rehearse what I've been about in my life. Like an actor practicing his or her lines. It's interesting, when we talk about memorizing something, when when someone talks about memorizing their lines, when we talk about memorizing the scripture, we say, I want to get it in my heart. I might have the Bible in my head, or I might have my lines in my head, but I need to get them in my heart. That comes only with rehearsal. It only comes, that remembering comes only with rehearsal. That's what Jesus is talking about. And some of you were with us last fall when we did that whole series called Text, and we were talking a lot about the principles of interpreting the Bible when you're reading. It's like, how do you interpret this? And we said the number one rule for interpreting Scripture is figure out what the context is about. Don't take the, don't take the teachings of the Bible out of context and then try and figure out what they're about. You can't. You have to know what the context is. Well, the context of this statement where Jesus said, uh, I want you to remember me, it's a context of selfishness or sacrifice. The, The Corinthians that Paul was writing to, they were practicing selfishness. They were practicing division. But Jesus demonstrated sacrifice. Jesus said, I want you, every time you do this, I want you to remember my sacrifice. What does he mean? He wants you to rehearse it. So we rehearse the concept where every time we pass bread down the row, we pass a cup down the row, we go, let's remember him together. We rehearse what he did. But that's not the end of remembering. The end of remembering is not just when we participate in that, but when we practice that. 
when we practice the sacrifice that Jesus made. And some of you go, whoa, whoa, we all have to go die on a cross? Okay, well, that's not likely. We don't do crosses anymore. We wear them. We don't die on them. But we can still sacrifice for others. An oikos life, a life that's lived for my neighbors, that's a sacrificial life. A life that's given to my family, that's a sacrificial life. A a life that's lived for others in the community, that's a sacrificial life. That's what it means to remember Jesus. It's to look at what he did and rehearse it in the lives of others. Jesus goes on, he says, now, and, and every time you drink this cup, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. It's a new relationship between God and human beings. And every time you drink this, I want you to remember that new relationship that's based on sacrifice, and I want you to rehearse it. And then he says, because every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes which had to be a head-scratcher for the disciples because, like, what are, you, what are you talking about, your death? They didn't, they didn't know. But Jesus knew he was going to die the next day. And so he said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup and you engage in the sacrifice, you proclaim Jesus' death, his sacrifice, until he comes. What would happen if... Together, as a church, we decided that we would make 2014 the year of the sacrifice. If we would make 2014 the year of sacrificial living, what would that be like? And what would have to change in our hearts, or make it personal, what would have to change in my heart to make this year a year of sacrificial living? where I was remembering Jesus, where I was rehearsing Jesus, what would have to change in my heart? There'd be things, because sacrifice and selfishness can't live together at the same table. What would have to change in my heart to make this a year of sacrificial living? And what would get to change in my neighborhood? And what would get to change in my community? And what would get to change in our community if we decided together to live a, a year of sacrifice together? What would get to change in our neighbors if we decide to do that? Paul goes on in verse 27. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. The Lord's Supper is a process by which Christ set up this um, moment for us regularly, repeatedly to come back to the moment where we examine ourselves. The reason people make New Year's resolutions is because at the end of the year, they've examined themselves and they went, I didn't like what I saw. And maybe the reason there's not that many of us here in the church that make New Year's resolutions is because we're repeatedly examining ourselves. It's how life's supposed to be. He says, so before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, examine yourself. There's a It's football season, right? Yeah, I know some of you guys are like really glad that the Niners game is later today. I I know I get that. I see the shirts. It's good. I I know we'll all be this afternoon. So, but there's been like 9,000 college bowl games in the last five days or so, and I've watched, you know, like almost all of them, it seems like. I don't know. And there's, uh, 
Capital One company, they, they, have, they do these commercials during the football season, and they always have some character, some Viking or some character, you know, who looks in the camera at the end of the deal, end of the commercial, and he goes, what's in your wallet? Right? You see those things, right? And I know some of you are like, oh, he's talking about sacrificing. He's talking about my money, and now he's talking about Capital One. It's like, what's this coming to? God wants way more than your wallet. When Paul says, examine yourself, when you come to the Lord's table and you examine yourself, it's like God is asking you through Christ what's in your heart. It's way deeper than what's in your wallet. Your wallet is just, a, is just an image of what's in your heart. We're talking about a whole life of sacrifice, not a credit card. We're talking a whole life of giving my life for others because that's what it means to remember Christ. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Remember me. This is my blood poured out for you as a sacrifice. Remember me. How will you do that? By rehearsing that sacrifice over and over and over in your life and my life every single day. What would happen if a whole church full of people lived that way? It would be fantastic. And what if that was us? You have to examine yourself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, that's my prayer. It's so hard for us to sacrifice for others, but... Father, you sent your son Jesus into this world to sacrifice for us. And so I just want to pray that that would be true of me. I want to offer my life as a sacrifice to you and as a sacrifice to others. I pray for my friends here that they would find a way by your grace to to live sacrificially for others this year. Lord, I pray that you would do remarkable, amazing things through us because we live out the Lord's Supper. And we remember what Christ did for us. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.